Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew and it's great to have you listening to our sermons this way. It's been a couple of weeks since I've had a sermon and that's because I've been out of town and we've also had a guest speaker at the church. But uh, with this episode, we are continuing our summer sermon series in which we are looking at the letters of Paul. Uh, We are looking at the letters because Paul is one of the most influential Christian thinkers, second perhaps only to Jesus. He wrote many of the letters that became the New Testament. And so each week we're looking at one book. We're not getting too deep in any one book, but we're looking at the overarching themes and main ideas. Now, this sermon series is called Reading Other People's Mail, and that is a reminder to us that these letters were not written to us. God speaks to us through them, but they were not written to us. They were written to specific people in specific churches for specific reasons in a very long time ago. Not only that, but especially as we're in the letters to the Corinthians, we see that these letters are part of an ongoing conversation of which we only hear one side and really one part of one side of the conversation. It's an ongoing back and forth of letters in the mail, and the letters the Corinthians wrote to Paul have not survived. Some of Paul's letters to the Corinthians have not survived. We already know from the first Corinthians letter that we have that there was at least one earlier one that he wrote them because he's responding to a response that they wrote to his earlier letter. Now, in 2 Corinthians, we're not sure if if this one is responding to their response to 1 Corinthians or if there were other letters between these two. We just don't know. But just as in 1 Corinthians, we get the idea that this Corinthian church is not a peaceful church, but is very divided. Paul references conflict, grief, and harsh letters that he had to write them. He talks about godly sorrow that leads to repentance. One particular conflict that was going on were against those whom Paul called false teachers. (laughs) That's quite the name for people. Evidently, he didn't agree with them. See, the controversy of the century was whether or not non-Jewish people needed to be circumcised and follow the Jewish law in order to follow Jews, or in order to follow Jesus. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but it was to them. I mean, basically, Paul was asking him to, them to throw out hundreds of years of tradition and law that was supposedly handed down to them by Moses from God. I mean, that's a pretty tall order. So no wonder Paul was controversial and not everyone agreed with him. He writes extensively in this letter contrasting the Old and the New Covenants in very stark terms, claiming that the Old Covenant, which was said in the Old Testament to be eternal, is now obsolete. So for Paul, the problem is that after he would leave from visiting the Corinthians, these false teachers would come in and teach their teachings, and some people were believing them. And so much of 2 Corinthians is Paul trying to say he's better than they are, even if he's not as eloquent of a speaker. He says, I'm not inferior to these super apostles. He goes on for a long time to boast sarcastically because the false teachers evidently have an impressive resume. But he says he's going to boast in his weakness, and he talks about things such as being crushed but not destroyed. He he also writes in here about an offering. They're going to collect one. You know, they're going to collect an offering from all these non-Jewish churches. Then they're going to bring it to Jerusalem and offer it to hopefully see the Jerusalem church can realize that, hey, these non-Jewish churches, they aren't so bad. And so Paul uses an interesting concept. He, he guilts them. 
imploring them to give generously because, after all, the church in Macedonia really gave a lot and they didn't have much to begin with. (laughs) Yeah, he's really laying the pressure on thick. I'm not sure I could use that tactic, but it's what he does. So those are some of the main ideas in 2 Corinthians, but (sighs) this past week was a tough one for our church. In In fact, the past two weeks, the week before this, this one that we are just getting over with, we had two funerals, one on Thursday and one on Friday. And then most recently, we had another funeral this week on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. There have been a lot. And so I want to focus today more on what Paul says in chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. He says, May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. He is the compassionate Father and God of all comfort. He's the one who comforts us in all our trouble so that we can comfort other people who are in every kind of trouble. We offer the same comfort that we ourselves receive from God. That's because we've received so much comfort through Christ in the same way we share so many of Christ's sufferings. He goes on and on, but basically the idea is that God is a God of comfort, something I've preached many times this week. And since God comforts us in trouble, we can and should comfort others in their trouble. You know, the idea of what comes around goes around, or I should say that wrong, what goes around comes around is usually a negative saying, but I'm using it in a positive way here. When you're comforted, you comfort others. So this church, St. Paul's United Methodist Church, has certainly faced loss this week, and yet we provided comfort as a part of our ministry. Our custodian had to do more work to clean the building. Uh, There were many, many people working in the kitchen to coordinate and serve meals. Uh, Just everybody helping out. We comfort others with the comfort we've received from God. Then in chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, Paul talks about life and death. Let me read it for you. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead in our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who's given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So there's a lot there. For Paul, the earthly tent refers to our body, also thought of as clothing for the spirit. So he talks about the clothing of the body versus his resurrection body being in heaven with God. He says that when we're home in the body, in other words, alive, we are away from the Lord. And Paul says he would prefer to be away from the body and with the Lord. So is there really that sharp of a dichotomy? Is God really not with us when we are in the bodies? No, I think God is with us. As I say at funerals, God is always with us. God is everywhere, and so it would make no sense to say that we don't have God or that God is not with us. 
But what Paul is doing is he's making a point that as good as it is to be alive, it's even better to be with God in a different sense. And it's not that we don't enjoy this life, but we look forward to the one ahead as well. Why choose when we can have both? But Paul really gives the key to this in verse 9 when he says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. In other words, serve God when you're alive and when you're dead. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because we usually assume that everlasting life is all rest and relaxation. Now, some people like that, might like that, but for folks like Sherry Held in our congregation who passed away, it'll be good for her to know there are things to do in heaven because she's going to want to be busy. Basically, whether living or dying, we are to be about the business of loving God and loving others. Now, I want to turn for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it talks about the idea of fragile treasures or jars of clay. It says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This is the idea that we can witness to our faith by doing great works even though we are fragile. I mean, really, when you think about it, our bodies really are amazingly strong and magnificent, and at the same time, weak and easily broken, aren't they? In one sense, our bodies are a marvel. They grow, they adapt, they heal when they're hurt. They do all kinds of complex tasks, both on their own and when we use them to do things. But they are fragile. They have their limits, especially as we get older. They don't work as well, parts wear out, and many of you know the story. Our bodies are great, but they're also fragile. And yet with them, we can do great things for God. In another scripture, it says that our bodies are a temple of God because God lives in us. We're kind of used to that idea, but to an audience who grew up with the temple being this magnificent building where sacrifices were made, this would be a strange idea. But it's true, our bodies are a temple of God because God lives in us, and we are to use them to please God. But they are fragile. They are fragile. We can be healthy one day and sick the next. We can be here one day and gone the next. And yet the fragility of our bodies is a testament to God's power, for he chooses to use these jars of clay to do magnificent things. So that's what we do. We comfort others with the comfort we have received. We serve God in this life and in the life to come, and we do so knowing that our bodies are fragile temples, here one day and gone the next. But that need not depress us or cause us to fret, for God is always with us in this life and in the life to come. As Paul wrote, which is better, being alive in our bodies or with the Lord in heaven? And again, I say, why choose? We get to experience both. And so make it your aim to please God whether we're here in this life or in the next. Either way, we take each day as a gift, giving thanks to God and living in such a way as to make a difference in this world while we look forward to the next one. Amen. God bless and have a great week.